재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 This is Koreascape on TBS EFM 101.3 megahertz in Seoul and surrounding areas. Twice a week, we put our ear to the ground and listen very carefully to what Koreans are saying to each other, both on social media and in mainstream media. It's a little feature we call Culture Pulse, and we figure it helps us tune in to what Koreans are thinking and what's on their minds. Guest host Natasha So joins us on Thursday. Hey, Natasha. Good morning. All right, let's go through at least three topics today. The first of them being man versus machine in a classic traditional face-off. That's right. It's a big paduk match. Some are calling it the paduk match of the century. Paduk or go, I guess you would say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a game of us against them, humans against computer, Isedol against AlphaGo. Now, the prize money is $1 million, and it will be held in two weeks' time at a hotel in Seoul from March 9th to 15th. But first, a little background about Isedol. He's a 32-year-old Korean professional paduk player, and he is considered one of the top, if not the number one paduk player in the world. He's been considered that for the last decade. Mm. What do you think the crowds are like at a Paduk match? Are they rowdy? Is it like, uh, you know, Pac-Man versus um, Mayfield? Or, <laughs> no, it, it, I think they're a bit more reserved. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, a, this is a go game. Fine. That's the human. You just told us about the human opponent. Now, uh, what about the machine that he's going to be playing against? Right. So the machine, the artificial intelligence is called AlphaGo. It's been developed by a London-based AI firm called DeepMind, which is now owned by Google. Now, AlphaGo has won against all the other computer Paduk players out there, and it's the top Paduk player out there in terms of the computers. And it won against a human professional player late last year. It defeated the European Paduk champion Fen Hui, without handicap, 5-0. to zero. Mm. But still, this doesn't automatically mean that AlphaGo has the upper hand in this match with Isadol because although Fan Hui is the European champion, he's at just level 2, so an Idan player, whereas Isadol is a Kudan or a level 9. In fact, even the developers of AlphaGo aren't too confident about winning Isadol. They say the likelihood is about 50-50. to 50. All right. Well, that makes for a good match, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. But Isadol, on the other hand, he believes he will win 5-0 to zero, or at least 4-1. to one. It's good to go in confident. Now, computers have been beating human beings at chess for donks now. I mean, mm. it's been forever. Why did it... Are they just coming around to be competitive in uh, Paduk or Go? Right. right so... Exactly. As you mentioned, for chess and other strategy games, uh, it's been a while. Uh, for chess, the computer was deep blue. An IBM computer beat the world chess champion Garry Kasparov in 1997. So almost two decades now. It was a very big deal back then. But contrary to chess, Paduk is considered a much more difficult game for computers to win because it has a much higher branching factor. Is that right? So in other words, at each step, there are exponentially more possibilities, meaning that the programming capabilities required for the computer to you know, go through each option and calculate the likelihood of ultimate success is just too much. Do you play Paduk? I do. Do you? With my dad. I, I've never tried it. So you should try it. I was unaware of the uh, nuances and the complications of it. Yeah, uh, and part of the complication is that Paduk requires more creativity and intuition ah. than 
a typical strategy game Whereas like you chess. can just memorise uh, sort of algorithms in right, chess. Right, Which a computer can do very handily. Hmm. All right. So um, teaching computers, when a computer gets really good at Padup, we know that the singularity is near, that hmm. we are reaching <laughs> artificial intelligence. What are people saying about this match? Uh, one person wrote, one of the beauties of watching Isadol play is seeing him make a move and follow it up with a strong glare at the opponent. Who is it going to stare at this time? AlphaGo, you have nothing on our Isedor. Just go and play Alkagi with your friends. Now, Alkagi is a game where you use the same stones, but you just sort of flick it at each other. Of, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so a little bit more low tech. <laughs> low right. tech, yeah. yeah. And finally, Sedohyung, if you sense that you're going to lose, pull the plug. Yeah, I sense a little bit of humanistic <laughs> pride in, in their Go abilities. Hopefully mm. that won't be too wounded if AlphaGo uh, kicks uh, our Korean friends, um, you know what, in this game. <laughs> Topic number two today, I mentioned this weeks ago in the newsfeed when they were just filming it, but uh, some an Im- a, a protest that was not permitted to happen in reality happened in a virtual way last night. Yeah, a hologram demonstration. So Amnesty International Korea, they hosted an anti-government ghost rally last night using holographic images to protest against curbs on assembly. For 30 minutes, around 120 life-sized hologram ghosts marched across a transparent screen set up at Gwanghwamun Square, chanting slogans such as Guarantee Peaceful Assembly and We Are Not Illegal. They also held a banner reading Assembly is a Human Right. Now, according to the director of Amnesty International Korea, Kim Hee-jin, they wanted to show that the situation in Korea has become so restrictive that only ghosts like these may freely march on the street. Yeah, Amnesty was real big uh, as a... I guess, an organizer of this, I I guess you would say, because Mm -hmm. they viewed this as a free speech issue in Korea. Uh, They were big on saying that this is kind of the first thing of its kind. Is that true, that this is the first kind of hologram protest? Uh, It's the first in Korea. In terms of the world, though, it's the second such virtual demonstration. Mm. Uh, The first one was held in Spain last April, where they protested the passing of a Spanish law that banned demonstrations around public buildings. So it's sort of similar sort of cause. Now, back in Korea, the virtual rally was registered as a cultural activity as opposed to a demonstration. The Seoul Metropolitan Police warned the group prior that the virtual rally could violate the law on assembly and demonstration. Commissioner Lee Sang-won said that if the event includes chanting, which indicates a collective expression of opinion, then it can be considered a demonstration thus rendering the ghost rally illegal because Amnesty International did not report it in advance. Didn't they? That's interesting because everybody knew about it weeks and weeks ago. Uh, as in, they did report it, but they reported it as a cultural activity as opposed to a demonstration. Uh-huh. Mm, you have to so refer- how do we define these uh, projected figures, you know, and, uh, and, and the content of what's being projected? Uh, it's a fascinating legal question. So mm. was this thing technically illegal, according to the commissioner? Well, they haven't given an official verdict. Um, there were police officers there who took photos and videos of the demonstration. Uh, one such police officer told a reporter that they will review the images and the atmosphere in which the projection took place to determine whether it was a demonstration or a cultural elite. Now, because there was chanting and slogans involved, I think they are sort of weighing towards saying it was a demonstration, mm. but now they have to decide who are we going to fine or punish. 
The yeah. Ghosts or right. Amnesty International. How or, funny mm. is that? Mm. Uh, just to go on a quick tangent, Natasha, um, mm-hmm. this, there's this book uh, written by a Serbian who was you know, key in overthrowing Slobodan Milosevic, right? Mm-hmm. And he's big on humor and, you know, non-traditional protests. And so what they did was they taped a picture of Slobodan Milosevic on these barrels and you could come up and hit the barrel. Oh. And so when the police came, they didn't know who to arrest. So they took right. away the barrel. They arrested the barrel. Are you going to arrest ah. the projector in this case? You know, what are people, uh, ordinary people saying about the protest? Uh, one person wrote... If it's a non-violent protest like this, without any disruption to surrounding traffic, I don't see why it shouldn't be allowed. And many people joked uh, about this. This whole metropolitan police should set up a hologram of police nearby. <laughs> that way, no one has to stay outside in the cold. That's right. You could have the hologram police arrest Varsal the hologram people. <laughs> <laughs> there you've got a, a good uh, solution. All right, we've got our third topic here. Oh, Korea is beaming with pride. Apparently, uh, new Korean ballet dancers being uh, inaugurated into the the national ballet. That's right. The Korean National Ballet Company, they recently welcomed nine new dancers through their annual open audition. And being the National Ballet Company, all the nine dancers were at the top of their game. But one ballerina in particular stood out from the rest. Her name is Yunso. Mm. At just 18 years and one month old, she's the youngest dancer ever to be admitted to the company in its 54-year history. Mm. The other eight dancers are between 24 and 28 years old. And unlike the other dancers, she didn't take the so-called elite course that seems to be a prerequisite for becoming a top-level ballerina. The typical art middle school followed by art high school mixed in with a few years of study abroad in Europe or Russia and then a big-name university. On the other hand, Ian saw she had none of that. She attended an ordinary high school in Korea and instead made up for her what she viewed as a shortage of exposure by practicing for more than 10 hours each day. Mm. School finished at 5 p.m., so from 5 p.m. to 3 a.m., she practiced. Oh, my goodness. That is a story of true grit. Hey, let's make a bet right here. I bet you within three or four years, this young lady's life is a movie in Korea. Uh, This is the kind of thing, you know, hard grit, you know, self-reliance. Practicing until three in the morning, no it, advantages, no, no, uh, you know, privileges. Mm. I think this is the a, stuff of film. Yeah, it's a story that will win a lot of people's hearts. Hey? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so obviously, she's a bit of a um, an inspiration for other young dancers, right? Right, especially for those who might not be able to afford the high cost of an art school or study abroad. And also the issue of cronyism. Mm -hmm. It's present in every sector of society in every country, bureaucracy, academia, the judicial system. Mm -hmm. And the art world is no different. It's such a small-knit community, especially as you get to the top echelon, that more often than not, the people who are the judges at these auditions are distant zombies from your art school. And mum and dad weren't ballet dancers for this young No. No. She actually started very late as well. She started Uh on second year of middle school, which is very late in terms of ballet and sort of physical arts. Hard work triumphing over uh, cronyism and privilege. I tell you, if you're a screenwriter out there and you're not already writing up this story, uh, Pick it up. you got to get on it because this will be the, the movie of the year a couple of years from now. What are people saying about this uh, fabulous young lady? Uh, one person wrote, I think this is one of the fruits of having the ballerina, Kang Soo-jin, as the art director. She spent most of her professional life abroad, so I would imagine that she is relatively free from having to answer to school ties and so on. Mm. Also, practicing 10 hours a day... 
Wow, her dedication really paid off. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I hope this trend of selecting people based on their talent only and not on their educational background or other titles will gain a foothold in other areas of the Korean society as well. That's it. Hard work and midnight oil payoff. Were you ever a ballet dancer, Natasha? I was a gymnast. A gymnast? Yeah. Okay, wow. But I stopped at... I started when I was six and I stopped when I was 12, whereas Ian saw she started when she was around 13, mm. 14, so very late. And what amazing dedication mm. for uh, eight or nine hours into the, into the night. She must have gone to bed at 3.30, absolutely passed <laughs> out, woken up again at about 6.30 or 7 for school. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she probably slept through math class, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> All right, that is Culture Pulse for today. Natasha, thank you once again. Thank you for having me. And Koreascape returns after this.